This is the Run Pod Option. I'm Marty. And I'm Josh. And we are missing Kyle, so we're going to keep on keeping on without him this week. Follow us on Twitter at RunPodOption. Email us, RunPodOption at gmail.com. We do appreciate you guys for listening. Thank you guys for your continued support. And feel free to tell a friend, share on social media. It would really mean a lot to us. Jeff, how did you enjoy having only one game to watch last week? And did you, in fact, watch Army-Navy? I was out, but I was able to watch it. We were at a brewery with some friends. Yeah, I didn't catch a whole lot of it. What about you? I tuned in, and I tuned out about the time that Navy had three scores, and I felt that was insurmountable. (laughs) And just watching Malcolm Perry run all over people is still a lot of fun. But Mm -hmm. I ended up actually watching a little bit more of, it was, I think it was Illinois State and North Dakota State. Yes. The FCS game. And that was very ugly to watch, too. Honestly, it was like, I guess it truly was a weekend off. And I'm sure there's some (laughs) FCS games out there that were uh, that were banging, but I did not find them. And I kind of enjoyed the day off. Yeah, it was kind of weird. I watched, uh, I think, Friday night James Madison played and it was very similar. I, I caught a little bit of the North Dakota State game, just a brutal. I don't know if it's like FCS just has elite defenses but the James Madison game was brutal too. Yeah, it's odd seeing both James Madison and North Dakota State get held under like 40 points because any other time I've ever seen them, either they're playing each other or they're smoking people. Yeah, it was it was definitely weird. All right, well, so I mentioned on the last show kind of our plan. We're going to be recording on Mondays throughout and to the national championship. So on today's show, we have 10 bowl games that we're previewing up to December 24th, a Tuesday, the Hawaii Bowl. Jeff, do you want to go ahead, without further ado, get kicked off with the first one? We're going to the Bahamas. Yeah, we're going to kick it off with uh, Buffalo and Charlotte, their first bowl game as a FBS program. It's kind of exciting because I, I can't remember how many years ago, Lance Leopold was kind of like a hot coaching name, and then he's done pretty well at Buffalo. And then you have Will Healy on the other side with Club Lit at Charlotte. <laughs> Definitely going to be an interesting game. I think it's going to be a really fun game at first, and I think Buffalo's probably a way better team. But that's no that's no knock on Charlotte. This is all new for everybody, right? I believe it's Will Healy's first bowl game as any level coach other mm-hmm. than an FCS or below, because I don't think he was an FBS beforehand. I may be wrong there. Uh, and then Lance Leopold is coming back to very familiar territory with two bowls in three seasons. It is weird, though, how they came to be with Will Healy especially turning around a program that was so historically bad. And I'm not totally sure on Lance Leopold's whole career. And in fact, let me, I'm going to look it up because I can't remember if he was in large part responsible for Wisconsin Whitewater. I don't think he was for like the whole bit. He played there from 83 to 86. Wow. Okay. He was pretty much there. His whole career. His whole career, aside from him being an assistant for Nebraska in 2001, 2, and 3, mm. and then Nebraska at Omaha for a couple other... Okay, so he had... What's the math there? I can't do it right now. For 12 years, he took... So from 12 years between 87 and 2014, he was not coaching, but for the rest he was, which gives him about 15 years there. So it's kind of interesting because I think maybe he's the older version of what Healy might become for Charlotte. 
one of the things that stuck out when I was doing my research was how good Buffalo's running game was. And yes. Jared Patterson's a name that I, I heard a lot of this season, but just by way of preference, I didn't watch a whole lot of Buffalo games, to be honest. Charlotte's like worst part of their team is them stopping the run. And they're facing two thousand yard rushers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They've got yeah, they've got a smash and dash or whatever <laughs> nickname they've got in the backfield. And despite a really good QB rush by that Charlotte defensive line, because I think they have like a legit NFL prospect, and I and I've, I've lost his name because I had it on my notes, and then I I must have deleted it. But I can't imagine them putting up much of a fight. So I'm gonna go ahead and make my pick. We're just oh, you know what? I, I didn't add that note. Uh, we're just gonna pick bowl games straight up. We're not gonna do any spreads. It's too funky. Too many players sitting in and out. I feel like this pick's gonna be normal. Plus, it's gonna be exactly how. You guys, the listeners, picks are going to be if you're in an ESPN Pick'em, which, by the way, we have one for the show. Check out our Twitter. There are tweets about it on how to join. I'm picking Buffalo. Alex Highsmith is the Charlotte player with 14 sacks. I don't even know he had 14 sacks, but that is <laughs> you're insane. right. Uh, I don't think they're going to be able to slow Buffalo down. I'm going to take Buffalo, too. Our co-host, Kyle, sent his picks in, too, since he couldn't be here. He has Charlotte picked. We have mentioned on the show that we all live in Charlotte, despite none of us being from here. So while they are kind of like my second team, I'd like to support them. Yeah. I think they're probably going to get get a, it might get slaughtered. It might not be that pretty, <laughs> honestly. Moving on to possibly the most confusing name, the Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl in Frisco, Texas. And what says tropical more than Frisco, Texas? And what says tropical more than Kent State and Utah State? (laughs) This is kind of another one, Jeff, that I have no idea how Kent State has a shot in this game, especially now that we know that Jordan Love is going to be going to the NFL and he's going to be playing in this bowl game. I took a look. I haven't been able to catch Love as much this year. His stat line has not been good. I think he's like 17 touchdowns and 16 interceptions. So I really think he didn't have the best year. You know, he's just trying to get out. But you're right. Kent State's defense is in the lower third in most categories. So I don't think it's going to be very close. Yeah, I don't think Kent State has a whole lot to offer in terms of stopping Jordan Love. So I think he's probably going to go off here. Yeah. But I I do think... And, and I have this as a note here. These two teams, Utah State and Kent State, are two of the worst eight teams in the country <laughs> at average time of possession because they go so fast. Yeah. And either they're going fast or they're not converting those third downs. I know what it is for Kent State. It's both. For Utah State, I do feel like they have longer drives, but they do run with a pretty fast pace. So I'm, I'm wondering if this is just going to end up being a track meet until Utah State likely gets like a 15, 20-point lead and they just sit on the ball. I think you're right. I think it'll be, you know, some people have talked about it not being an exciting game. I think it'll be exciting if, you know, you want to catch one of the lower-level bowls. So. Yeah, I think it it's going to be fast-paced, if anything. I think, yeah. I, think it, I think it has a chance to be a lot of fun. I also wanted to point out that, that Ross Dillinger, might be Dillinger, of Sports Illustrated ranked this bowl the least watchable. <laughs> Which is incredibly rude just to, <laughs> it's so disrespectful to these teams because talking to people that aren't college football fans, I get it. They're just like, all right, so what What are they playing for? If they're not going to be in the championship, like, is it a big deal that the Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl is going to be won by one of these teams? 
and they're each going to get like a $25 gift card to the Tropical Smoothie Cafe and, you know, like a free football and some spare hat. <laughs> but it, it really means, I think it means a lot. I know it means a lot for Kent State. Sean Lewis in his second year, they barely became bowl eligible at the end. And it means something for Utah State and Gary Anderson because it's the first step in him getting Utah State back to where he had them in the first place before he left. Yeah, it's always interesting. I read a lot online that fans say, you know, players don't care about bowls and da-da-da. It's probably true for a lot of the top teams that aren't in the playoff. But, you know, finishing your season on a high note and getting a win, I think builds really good momentum, especially with a lot of these teams will be in spring practice in like a month anyway. So... Why not try to keep that momentum going? I think, yeah, anytime you can get a win to finish off is good. And really, it means everything to some of these players, especially at these smaller schools. And I always use my example as Antonio Brown, who it's <laughs> I've got to find a new example. It's lost some credibility here. But he was really, really good in college. And it took a game against Troy in a bowl game. And he went for like 178 yards and just absolutely lit up a pretty good Troy defense back in 2009-10 season. And that can help these guys get invites to senior bowls, to the combine for the NFL. When I mentioned and led off with Jordan Love, it means something to Jordan Love because if he looks like absolute dog shit during this game, he might not get drafted. He has the measurables, but it, it might be the difference between a fifth and a second round. And that's a lot. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and make my pick. Uh, first, Kyle, he picked Utah State straight up. I'm going to do the same. I think Kent State's had a really good year. I think they're headed in the right direction, especially compared to where they were about three years ago. But this is not going to be the step they need to move forward. It's just going to be a tiny step back, and Utah State will be uh, probably plowing them over, if I had to guess. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm taking Utah State as well. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to insert this in here because Jordan Love got busted with two of his teammates smoking weed. So we didn't know that when we recorded this episode. That came out after the fact. So just be weary of that pick. But I think we're all still in a pick choosing Utah State. And that's pretty much it. Our next bowl game, we're getting to the Saturday games for December 21st. We have the non-sponsored New Mexico Bowl, I say with sadness. We have Central Michigan against San Diego State. And if we want to talk about what's probably going to be an ugly game, this one's probably it. But I'm going to give everyone a reason to check this out. If you want to see what an elite level defense looks like in which you don't know any of their names, San Diego State is the team to watch. They rank second in the nation against the run. Fourth in scoring defense, fifth in total defense, and it's the Rocky Long special. The three three five, yeah, yeah, the three three five, and just uh, a bunch of walk ons, presumably, and on the <laughs> offensive side, other than your running back, and and this year they don't even have that. And they also have former Michigan coach Brady Hoke on their staff, which is crazy. Is he back there? I had no idea. Yeah, there's a really great article about him. Uh, I can't remember if it was on The Athletic or what. Uh, It's basically detailing how much he's been paid over the last five years because he got fired from Michigan, got paid a buyout. He got fired from Oregon and got paid a buyout. And he got fired from Tennessee and the Panthers and got a big buyout. So it was basically about how he's getting paid a ton of money just to coach. (laughs) 
defensive line at San Diego. Was the Oregon gig purely because of the coaching change that he got let go? Yeah. Well, their, their defense was dreadful, but yeah, they, they paid out the rest of his contract. I mean, it's weird to say, but sometimes you're like, just because you have the biggest sword doesn't mean you're the most deadly, you know, like someone with a small knife that knows what they're doing. And I think that's maybe Brady Hoke's home is, is in that lower level. Yeah. And it's not with a huge budget. It's making things happen out of scraps. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you talked about it, their defense has been elite and in a three, three, five, those defensive linemen aren't there to necessarily pass rush. They're there to occupy space. So it's a perfect fit for him. Yeah, and, and they're fourth, they're, they're fourth, I'm sorry, second against the run, despite having a six man front, <laughs> which means either their safeties are doing work or they've got some fantastic bodies up front. It is a little funny that they are a 3 3 5 and they're facing the Chippewas, who are a pretty one dimensional team in terms mm-hmm. of passing. We saw what Miami of Ohio did to them. The Central Michigan team, for as talented as they are, and what uh, they're a great story this year in terms of just bouncing back from that awful like 1-11 season, when they get pressed up against the wall like they will in this game, I'm not sure there's anything they can do. And, and their best bet is that it's raining and they can hopefully catch one of those players that slipped on defense to score. Yeah, because they're going to, I mean, that undersized front is going to be up in their business trying to slow down the run. So you're absolutely right. Do you want to point out that turnover stat that I had in there in the note? Because I think it's extremely funny and also how out of hand. It's a, it's an indicator of how out of hand this game might be. The fact that Central Michigan is 124th in the country in giveaways and San Diego State has only lost seven turnovers the entire year. So literally at the opposite end of the turnover spectrum. I've got Central Michigan winning. So does Kyle. And who do you got, Jeff? I have San Diego State in a grudge match. Oh, God. I have San Diego State, too. I don't know why. I read his, and it got me all messed up. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, and you know what? And I should point out, for anybody that's following along, uh, I've been awful on these picks in the last three weeks. And Kyle's been actually really, really good. And the distance between him and I for second place is now one game. It's a one-game <laughs> difference. I have a one-game lead. And if he passes me, I will be upset because I had it. I had it in the bag. I had second <laughs> yeah. place secure. Yeah, Kyle was far away. So I was playing fast and loose with it, just <laughs> let it slip away. The FBC Mortgage Cure Bowl, Liberty, Georgia yes. Southern. Will you freeze? Be walking the sidelines. We don't know, <laughs> but I hope he's in a mech suit, like we alluded to earlier this season. He's going to get a great deal on his mortgage, I can tell you that. Yep. So Georgia Southern had a great game. I'm sorry, a great season, especially with the win over App State, their most hated rival. But they're a triple option team running out of the shotgun. They're kind of doing what Kentucky's been doing since Lynn Bowden has been taken over for quarterback. Mm-hmm. But they're not as explosive Liberty, I, I watched two games of theirs. It was against Syracuse and against Rutgers. Apparently, I only watched Liberty when they play someone from like the upper northeast. <laughs> but they showed a lot in the Rutgers game. I think they scored 34, if I remember correctly. The fact that they let Rutgers score 40 might be a better indicator of the point I'm trying to make. And that point simply is going to be they're going to have extra time to prepare for Georgia Southern, but I don't see how... 
Liberty catches up even with a pretty good passing game. It's really interesting. These two teams are going to be playing strength against weakness. You talked about uh, Stephen Calvert, the quarterback. Had a really solid year for Liberty going against a, not a great Georgia Southern pass defense. And then on the flip side, you have an option-based team going against a Liberty defense that's 100th against the run. So I think it could be kind of an exciting game. Yeah. I think it's going to be similar to if I had to paint the ideal picture for the Cure Bowl, it looks like the second half of Ole Miss LSU. Where LSU is Liberty in this case, just passing all over <laughs> Ole Miss. Ole Miss. <laughs> And then every time Ole Miss got the ball, they were just running all over LSU. And I think it has a chance to be a lot of fun because styles make fights. And I think both of them, if I know you freeze at all, I think he'll ignore the weakness and just try to emphasize the strength. So I think he's willing to get torched on the ground as long as he, as long as a uh, Stephen Buckshot Calvert can get his. <laughs> Who do you got in this game, Jeff? I went back and forth on this. Um, I really like what Liberty is doing. They're actually pretty balanced on offense. They have two guys that uh, Frankie Hickson that almost hit a thousand yards and Joshua Mack uh, just under 800. So freeze is of course doing some good things on offense. Defense has not been great. Like you talked about the Rutgers game. So I, uh, I'm going to take Georgia Southern. I think they, you know, a running game eventually will just bleed it out. I think I'm going to go with Georgia Southern too. If, if we were picking the spread, which is Georgia Southern by five points, I think I'd probably pick Liberty to cover because yeah. I do think it's going to be probably an up-and-down game, if only because I think that Liberty is going to find themselves behind and Georgia Southern controlling that time of possession will make them more exciting offensively. Just chucking the ball up to Antonio Gandy-Golden, who's their receiver that is an absolute monster out there, so keep an eye out for him. And Kyle has picked Liberty. In fact, he actually sent it to me as you freeze. He didn't pick the school, he picked the coach. Don't freeze. Which is probably not a bad one. The game that probably would have been the, the choice game of this whole week that we're previewing had Lane Kiffin not gotten hired by Ole Miss. SMU in Florida Atlantic, the Cherry Bundy, Boca Raton Bowl in Boca Raton, Florida. It's a home game for Florida Atlantic. I, I've read a lot of stuff as I was preparing for this. And I guess being an SMU fan, <laughs> you don't often hear people talking about SMU other than people that are already covering the team, right? And I read on three different websites that the worry here about SMU showing up is, you know, they might be kind of let, like the, the old SEC in the, in the lower bowl argument. It's like, do they really want to be here? They were, you know, they were nine, they had a chance to go to the Cotton Bowl and they ended up, they only ended up 10 and two, you know, uh, they might be upset about this one. And and I think that's, uh, it's garbage. It's a garbage opinion, especially again, like we mentioned on the, the Kent State, Utah State game, these bowl games mean a lot to these players. <laughs> I think if Willie Taggart coaches this game, which congratulations, Taggart, on getting another coaching job. South Florida wouldn't take you back, but you ended up in a better gig, I think. If Taggart doesn't coach and instead it's the leftovers from Florida Atlantic coaching, I think they have a chance to win. If Taggart comes in and tries to coach, it's going to go awful. And it's not an indictment on Taggart. It just happens. Is he really thinking about coming to coach the game? I don't know. The way the way 
this whole thing's gone, this coaching hire in the early <laughs> signing period. I don't know what it looks like for most coaches, but like more like Norvell's not going to go back to coach Memphis. So presumably he's going to be coaching at Florida State. Maybe not calling plays, but maybe coaching. And that's what I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> Florida Atlantic coming off a six-game win streak that includes an absolute crucifixion of UAB <laughs> in their in their <laughs> championship game. The interesting set I had about Florida Atlantic, they'd never lost a bowl game, which I was surprised to find out, even though wow. they've been to four. So they're looking to go 5-0, and oh, and this is going to be the first bowl game for Sonny Dykes since his first couple weeks on the job at SMU when he took over for Chad Morris. They played in the DXL Frisco Bowl, and they got absolutely dominated. So I think he's ready <laughs> to kind of show off what he's capable of and what his team's capable of. I'm really interested to see, you know, it's always when a you talked about SMU feeling let down or, you know, not bringing their A game. What does FAU look like? You know, Kiffin's gone. Like he talked about, they were they ended the year on a really great streak and they actually were really ascending. I was, I was impressed with the job Kiffin and co did. So depends how much of the staff is still there. Um, it being a home game, I think will help, but I still think SMU is too potent. They're going to come in and, and put up a lot of points and win. The one coach that did leave, and I think his last name was Letty. No, 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 that's not true. He took him from UCF. I believe the quarterback coach at Florida Atlantic is no longer there. That was on Kiffin's staff. And Chris Robinson, their their quarterback, has had a pretty great season. But I'm wondering if that has any effect, too. The same way that I would maybe be worried about SMU had uh, Lashley left to take another offensive coordinator job or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm kind of kind of curious how Florida Atlantic manages the game. Do they stick with that really multi-headed running game they have where they've got three or four guys they can rotate in and out? SMU, can they stop those three or four guys because they're, <laughs> they're, uh, they're known to give up the big play in the running game? Yeah. I would take the over, which is set at 70.5 points. Kyle has SMU. I'm going to go ahead and pick my ponies too. Jeff, who do you have? SMU. We're riding that train. Jeff and I all have the same picks. It doesn't matter. We're just <laughs> trying to we're just trying to help you guys out and y'all's bowl picking too. We're just trying to beat Kyle, really. That's the main That's honest to God, it's protecting <laughs> the second place is what we're doing. And either Jeff's gonna go down with me or there's gonna be some way that Kyle's gonna pass all of us. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna blow my mind. It's gonna be the best story of the year. A true comeback story. We have the Camellia Bowl, Florida International, Arkansas State. They're meeting in the middle in Montgomery, Alabama. I have no idea what to expect out of this game because Florida International has been so good and then so bad this season, and Arkansas State can fill that same exact description. My heart says Arkansas State here. Can you give me a reason that Florida International would, would win this game? I mean, you look at the teams, they're almost identical. They both, I love this kind of stat, these kind of stats. They both, their point per game averages are both less than they, they score less than they give up, which is crazy. Florida, Florida International has a better defense, I guess, if you're being honest, about 27 points a game. Uh, Arkansas State's giving up almost 35, so if that would be it, they might be able to slow them down a little more, but it's, you're right, they're, they're both really close. I do think it's interesting for me, Arkansas State 
is so bad against the run. One of the worst teams in the country. They rank 122nd. FIU has two running backs, Napoleon Maxwell, Anthony Jones. They're worth watching this game alone. They've been pretty... One of them has at least been electric each game this year. And especially, I believe, they had a game against UMass. Everybody's electric against against UMass. So, <laughs> so, so take this with a grain of salt, I guess. But they racked up a ton of yards. And I'm interested to see if they do it, just how Arkansas State tries to throw themselves back into the game. I've got Arkansas State, and I'm still riding a little bit. The emotional uh, coach's wife, like the early passing, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that Arkansas State might have a little bit of an edge there, and that's why I'm going to give it to them. As much as I hate continuing our picks, I, I agree with you. I think they're more potent on offense, and FIU has been really up and down, especially the second half of the season. They've been, I think they've lost three out of their last four games, so Arkansas State seems to be on a better path. We've got the Mitsubishi Motors Las Vegas Bowl. It's a Chris Peterson Bowl. It's Boise State and Washington. That's 18th ranked Boise State. This is another one I saw the same thing that I saw for SMU. Is Boise State going to be let down because they didn't get in a New York Six Bowl? And I think anybody that writes that must not have been watching college football for the last like 15 years. (laughs) Because this is the game that Boise State lives for every bowl season. To knock off a Power 5 opponent. Yeah, and to finish finish the season with a chance at 13 wins, I, I agree. Um, one interesting point, Boise State did just lose their offensive coordinator to Arizona State. I don't know if you caught that. I did not catch that. Uh, yeah, so they'll probably have you know quarterbacks coach or someone filling in. Yeah, a chance to go beat Washington. Uh, I think Washington will be stingy, but Boise State is a better team, and I don't think they're going to be let down, so... I'm going to take Boise State. Yeah, I think the the interesting thing, the deciding point here for me is going to be whether Hank Bachmeyer plays or whether Jalen Henderson plays because Boise State's had such an issue keeping their quarterbacks healthy. If it's Henderson, I think that might give an edge, oddly enough, to against Washington. I do think Washington keeps it incredibly close. They have all season four of their five losses or by six points or fewer. An interesting point. Washington was the worst team in the Pac-12 on their third down completion percentage. Mm. And Boise State has about a middle-of-the-road defense on the same situation. So I think that's going to be really key here is it's not going to be Eason going deep because I don't know if it's going to be there for him. But I think it's going to be if Boise State can step up and grind out that Washington running attack and any short passes that Washington are going to try on your third and fourth, third and third, or third and fourth, your third and four, third and three situations, I think two or three of those stops in a row, and Boise State might have a chance to kind of not run away, but put some distance that Washington has to has to try to make up for. So I've got Boise State to cover as well, and Kyle also has Boise State. So we're all we're all on the Broncos. Sorry about you, Purple Cutler. <laughs> So their offensive coordinator went to Arizona State. Yeah, I think it just announced her. I do wonder if that also gives them an edge because more than likely whoever that offensive coordinator was had some kind of ties down that Chris Peterson tree. And I'm wondering if a new <laughs> face is going to maybe give them give them kind of an edge somewhere. Yeah, if they open it up or if they switch things up, I think you're right. I was really surprised 
that Harson didn't get mentioned for more jobs, and the only thing I can think is that he's he's comfortable where he's at. He's had, I mean, how many years has he been there now? His record is top notch. I mean, they he's continued the tradition of Boise State being really strong. I'm I'm kind of surprised too. This has been a weird, you know, weird year for coaching changes, but we'll touch on that more. No, for sure. Yeah, I I, I agree. And yeah, he's been there for this is his sixth season. Wow. He's had 12 wins, 9 wins, 10 wins, 11 wins, 10 wins, 12 wins. It's impressive. It's impressive. And I think the other part of it is Chris Peterson being successful kind of shows to me, if I'm an athletic director at, say, Indiana didn't have a, you know, even even back when Minnesota was hiring P.J. Fleck, it feels like this would have been the kind of coach I wanted or Arkansas or Mizzou, especially Mizzou kind of being away from the rest of their conference geographically and being able to use what he has in the West Coast ties, I feel like could have been an edge for him. Not that Eli Drinkwitz wasn't deserving, but yeah, it's just interesting, I thought. Next, we have the R&L Carriers New Orleans Bowl. We've got Appalachian State. We've got the University of Alabama, Birmingham, UAB. It's in New Orleans. This thing kicks off at 9 p.m. Oh, yeah. Eastern in New Orleans, <laughs> which means whoever wins is going to be having an absolute burning down celebration. <laughs> it's going to be yeah. wild. I cannot imagine Birmingham or Boone natives in New Orleans. I'm just uh, Boone's going to feel like home, man. Uh, Boone is going to feel like home. So prior to the Sun Belt Championship game, UAB's defense was allowing 18.5 per, points per game. We saw what they did against Florida Atlantic. They did not play very well at all. They're still a really good team. I don't think, especially seeing what UAB did this year when they left their conference, I think the step up to App State is going to be so great that App State runs away with this. And I'm not totally sure if you could convince me to take UAB. I don't think I can either. App has been extremely good this year. It's going to be interesting to see how they react to losing their coach the second year in a row before the bowl game. I don't know if that's going to, like, I have a feeling they'll probably be pissed off and come out and take it out on UAB, but maybe there's going to be a little hangover there. Um, but I still think they're far, far superior to UAB. So Yeah, I think, I think it helps that they brought an internal guy up yep. for them with Sean Clark. And I think, like you mentioned, this is not going to be unfamiliar territory. They won last year in the same bowl against Middle Tennessee State right after they lost their head coach to Louisville. Yep. And all of that tied in with your points when you went to the App State, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, when you went to the App State Louisiana game, mentioning just how ingrained. And we talked about how that program is just kind of set up to take the helm for a new coach. I think Sean Clark, unless he tries to reinvent the wheel there, I can't imagine App State slowing down. And they're 16 and a half point favorites, which for a bowl game just seems wild. And it's also why I think that these bowl tie-ins are just so unnecessary. Yeah, they need to go. I, I don't know how you can have a 12-1 and team that's really playing extremely well, you know, playing in New Orleans a second year in a row against a UAB team that's not bad, but, you know, they're not in the same league. So it's, it's really disappointing because I, I don't like to see App against a – you know, a higher quality team, maybe even a P5 team. I think so too. And I, and I think that inherently is my issue with a lot of these bowl games. 
SMU is a good example. I would have liked to see SMU and Florida Atlantic take on Tennessee, Indiana. Yeah. If if these if nothing else, purely because those schools presented with the argument of, well, you know, UCF couldn't win five games in the SEC or whatever it might be. You know, the, the, those those silly arguments for uh, that are held against G five schools. If SMU went in there and just floored Tennessee, it does something for recruiting, too, because you've just beaten Tennessee, like the Tennessee, historically, and, and that's really great. But, like, UAB's 9-4. and four. They're a good team. Like, let them take a shot at 7-5 and five Washington. Or let 12-1 and one App State take a shot at Alabama, yeah. Michigan. Penn State. God, not yeah. Michigan. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, can't. I didn't mean to bring that uh. up. That's a I mean, tough one. You laugh about it, but that it would probably be a really good game. I mean, because App is they finished one the, like the top twenty, I and mean, that's they're they're quality program. So yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Yeah, and I do I do think if if not that, then let's just do a G five playoff and call it something. Let's yeah. have App State. Let's have Memphis. Let's have Boise State. There's a team I'm forgetting in there. Hell, make it Florida Atlantic since they won their conference. Yeah, and just you never know. Then UAB. I think I messed up a team. Anyways, just let's do something, you know. Uh, let's go. We're switching on to, we're going to cover these next two. Uh, we have Monday, December 23rd, the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl. Yes. UCF, Marshall, Doc Holiday, baby. He's never lost a bowl game that he's taken Marshall to. Do you know if he's got a shot against UCF? Because UCF are favored 17 and a half points. I think he has a shot. I think... Dylan Gabriel would have to have a really terrible game. And Marshall's defense has been pretty solid this year. Um, So I definitely think they have a shot, but uh, UCF is pretty explosive. So I I don't think it's going to be that close of a game. I think UCF's explosive. I think they've also got that beginning stage of a program that can kind of drive itself. Heupel's done a really great job there since he took over for Scott Frost. They lost their offensive coordinator and quarterback coach, Jeff Levy, who I mentioned earlier, going with Lane Kiffin. I nice. do wonder if that's going to affect Dylan Gabriel at all. Yeah. But Dylan Gabriel also has like some insane receivers to throw it up to, so it's not like he has to even be that good, I don't think. Marshall, they lost to Boise State. They lost to Cincinnati. Those are good losses, and they're kind of hot and cold the rest of the year. They hammered. I don't think they even hammered. I think it was actually let – me, let me, before I step out of line here. <laughs> Back when Florida Atlantic was at a lower point this season, so that should be maybe taken with a grain of salt. They beat Florida Atlantic thirty-six to thirty-one. So that's one of the only games they've really been able to flash their offense. I don't think that they can keep up with Central Florida, no matter how good that defense plays, because UCF also has like a not bad defense. <laughs> They're still a really complete team at this level. I think Gabriel's going to have to throw a couple interceptions and really have a sloppy game for it to be close. You talked about some of Marshall's games. You know, they beat Florida Atlantic by five. They beat Western Kentucky by three. They lost to Charlotte and then beat Florida International by three. So they're dancing on the razor's edge. I don't think there's really... It's going to have to be crazy things happening for it to be a close game. I agree. I think Hurd running back Brendan Knox, he's had a really good year, almost yes. 1,300 yards, 11 touchdowns. 
if they can control the clock, that's about the only chance they've got and throw in those, those ingredients you mentioned, you know, a turnover here and there, Gabriel fumbling, Gabriel maybe throwing an interception. It might give Marshall a chance. But I think I'm picking UCF to give Doc Holliday his first Marshall bowl game loss. Kyle's doing the same. Jeff, who do you have? I'm, I'm on board the train. UCF is going to, I think, win big. I think especially because they've had a letdown year. I think it's even more the reason for me. If I had to look at it, if I'm the UCF coach and we've gone, you know, we had this huge streak and we lose to Cincinnati, who I think they're a better team than still after seeing what Cincinnati couldn't do against Memphis for two weeks, I think I'd be upset and I'm going to take it out on poor Doc Holliday and Marshall. (laughs) We've got the Sophie Hawaii Bowl. Hawaii versus Brigham Young. We get to see a home game for Hawaii, but maybe it's also a home game for Brigham Young because half these guys might have done their mission in Hawaii, to be honest. (laughs) There's probably a quarter of that team that's been there. Brigham Young allows an astonishing 65.15% opponent completion percentage. And what does that tell you? It tells you that an air raid team should be able to go in there and clean house. And shred them, yes. I am not sure how Brigham Young hangs in there. They've got depth because they've kind of got one of those weird, almost Army-Navy situations where their depth is so oddly backloaded because of the mission and... They've got like 22-year-old running backs. They've lost three of those running backs this year. I don't know if they can keep it up. Hawaii's five losses this year. Washington, Boise State twice, Air Force, Fresno State, all good losses. The only thing I've got for Brigham Young, Jeff, the only thing that I think benefits them, I believe Hawaii's already played 15 games this year. Is that right? Yeah, because I believe, let me, I'm going to pull it up to make sure I'm not just They played 14. How did that happen? They played an early game? They played the week zero game against Arizona. And they played the Mountain West Championship. Hmm. Yeah, nine and five. What a strange record. It really is. <laughs> that they have a chance to go ten and five, which means they got a chance to get like the wild card uh, in the in NFC West. Yeah, I, I've, I've been burnt by picking Hawaii two times this year. But I can't, I can't not pick Hawaii here. I think I think this is going to be Cole McDonald's time to shine. I think Rolovich not being mentioned for any jobs. I don't think he wants to leave. I think he loves it there, and I believe they're going to not hand Brigham Young their ass, but I think Hawaii's got a really good chance of, of winning this one handedly, despite the scoreboard. Brigham Young has been interesting. Zach Wilson has been okay at quarterback. Not really anything special, though. Uh, he throws, a lot of y- throws for a lot of yards, but doesn't hit the end zone. So they're going to have to have a huge game out of him. Now, Hawaii's defense is not very good. Um, and you talked about all the injuries BYU's had. So I think, I think BYU's going to score a little bit. They'll it, keep it probably interesting, but Hawaii's going to win this one. I think so too. That Brigham Young team also only managed to score three points against San Diego State, <laughs> which we've talked. I know that's good. I know San Diego State's really good, but I do feel like and maybe I'm thinking, you know, in, in Ty Detmer era terms here, but but Brigham Young at their worst should be able to score more than three points on mostly any team. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised how bad they've been this year. This is very not not like them. 
Well, it's weird. You said it, right? Like, they've had a weird season. They beat Tennessee. They beat USC. And then they lose to Washington. And they lose to Toledo. And they lose to South Florida. And they beat Boise State. That's Boise State's only loss all year. Yeah. And they beat the hell out of Utah State. They beat Liberty. They beat the hell out of Idaho State. They beat the hell out of UMass. And then they put up three points against San Diego State. Their point total, their last five games, 42, 31, 42, 56, and 3. <laughs> and Hawaii, it's probably going to look closer to the 30s. But I think that Hawaii can also put up 40. So yeah, I've got Hawaii. I believe I heard you say you've got Hawaii as well. Yeah. And Kyle is on Hawaii too. Last right. picks we've been uh, just across the board, and then the last one I I, I don't want to spend too much time on it because honestly I'd be speaking out of ignorance. I haven't watched these teams all year. We have the Celebration Bowl. We have the Miac champion North Carolina A and T. We have the SWAC champion Alcorn State. The only reason North Carolina A&T are in this game is because Florida A&M has a postseason ban. Florida A&M actually <laughs> won the conference, <laughs> which I thought was funny. That's but I awesome. think North Carolina North Carolina A&T have been in this game for four years straight, yeah. I believe now. Yep. So for that reason, I'm going to take North Carolina A&T. I am on board with you. They've won the last two, I think. Um, so I, I see them continuing that this year. Excellent. So guys, uh, I hope you'll have. Y'all's bowls picked. We do wish you join the Run Pod Option Bowl Pick'em. You can find that on the Twitter again at Run Pod Option. Before we get out of here, Jeff, who the hell did Arkansas hire as their head coach? <laughs> they hired a the guy that, who no longer has Georgia's bankroll stuffing his pockets. Yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> so Sam Pittman is the former Georgia offensive line coach. He was also the Arkansas offensive line coach with Brett Bielema. And that was during Brett Bielema's good years. So I think it's, he's a, I know Arkansas seems excited. What's telling to me is that Georgia fans are horrified that they're not going to have him anymore. That tells me a little bit more. They named Barry Odom their defensive coordinator, and he's a bang-up defensive coordinator. So I'm kind of excited to see where Arkansas's going and what I think is going to be the exact opposite of how Lane Kiffin is going to try to build Ole Miss. Like from a program, from a scheme, <laughs> from like that complete <laughs> perspective, they're going to be two totally different programs. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of excited for both of them. It'll be interesting to see who Pittman, did he announce his offensive coordinator hire yet or is that not filled? Uh, the last post I see here is that he shares the updated timeline for his offensive coordinator hire. So I don't believe he's made the hire yet. Which tells me that it's probably somebody that's in a bowl game. Yeah. I'll, it'll be really interesting to see which direction he goes because he obviously came from more of a pro-style background, you know, with um, Bielema. And did he coach at Tennessee or am I thinking of someone else? They have the game Cheney. Does he go the Georgia route? Because I know a lot of Georgia fans were have not been pleased with the output there. Um, and Pittman's known for his big offensive line, so... That kind of seems to be the natural path. Or does he decide to go more of the spread route since that's where most teams are? It'll be really fascinating to see which way he goes. Well, Whole Hog Sports reports that toughness <laughs> is key to Pittman, Pittman's plans. So I think it's probably the the pro style that we're going to end up seeing. Yeah. And I don't think that's going to be totally bad. And, and I 
And I listened to an interview today with the new USF coach, Jeff Scott from Clemson. And he mentioned how he got asked about, you know, what kind of defense, what kind of offense do you want to do? And he brought up his defense as being multiple, but most importantly on his offense, he said nothing's really off the table. He said there is some pro-style stuff he wants to put into his game plan. But he emphasized when he said it, if I'm remembering this correctly, that it's less about what scheme you're running offensively, but how you execute and what pace you run with. And he used Clemson as an example of of using good pace despite the formation that that really is what can set apart a team. So if I'm Sam Pittman and I know that I'm a great offensive line coach, pro style, it might work in the SEC East. I don't know if it's going to totally work in the West, but if you add some pace in there, if you get someone that's, you know, some single, like a single back offensive specialist, something that's that's kind of funky. And I'll, and I'll use uh, Sean McVay as an example. He loves the single back more than he does shotgun. I think a single back pro style offense can still work. I just don't know how it would without some kind of pace offensively. Yeah, I mean, there's not many teams anymore that, who, who still tries to win the time of possession? I mean, Harbaugh finally gave it up. I think Kirby Smart is the last soldier on that train. Um, every team is now trying to play with pace. And if they're not, you know, running tempo the entire time, they're at least adding it into their offense. So I think that's a great point. Um, and that's a smart way to do it. I mean, because pro style offenses are so hard to, pl- to scheme against because of, you know, how they're set up and, you know, the blocking schemes and stuff. But, if you add pace, I think that's going to add a nice dimension to it if you can get everything else right. Because even when Andrew Luck was at Stanford, there was a little bit of pace to their game. Like, it wasn't yeah. all incredibly slow. And I think you brought up a really good point in that if they run it like Georgia, I think it's destined for failure. And it's not indictment on Sam Pittman. I think it's the fact of where we're at. And someone used an example. It was either Auburn... And LSU, LSU and Alabama, or Alabama and Auburn, I can't remember. But it was the number of players drafted in the first, or the first and second round by those teams this decade. And all it was, it was just like linebacker, 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 defensive lineman, defensive lineman, defensive lineman, linebacker. Like it was (laughs) almost the entire front seven for both schools were getting drafted every year. And... To counter that, you don't run into it. Like, it's just not going to go. It's not going to happen. With pace, maybe. But you've got to spread the ball out or at least be willing to pass. Whether it's to tight ends, whether it's to the three tight ends you have out there, whatever your formation is, I hope that Pittman makes a hire that is able to take advantage of the second and third level of defenses. Because even if your offensive linemen are just cruising running into just a war machine of a defense, most years Alabama, most years LSU, all years Auburn, and A&M now too, getting there. You know, defensively, you just can't. Something. I am curious. I'm excited to see who his offensive hire is just to kind of see what the rest of that division is going to look like going into next year. Jeff Tedford's stepping down at Fresno State. Did you see that? Was it health-related? 
think so. That's what yeah. it read like. And That's really disappointing because he had a nice kind of gig going there. I agree. Yeah, it's it's disappointing. I hope someone can take advantage of it, and I'm kind of half hoping that. Uh, I think they made a hire. Maybe uh, Cal's offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator, Bo Baldwin. That's coming up for some reason. So I see from six hours ago that Kalen Kalen DeBoer is the favorite to be the coach from Indiana. Yeah. And I'm kind of a little bit, man, who is the, you know what? I'm going to look it up. Let me see. Uh, I kind of would like to see if they take a chance on Jay Hill, who is the Weber State head coach. And he's a younger dude. He's from Utah, but he's still got the West Coast bit in him. Mm. I'd be kind of interested to see if he got anything. And I'm forgetting what the other, doing this on the fly here. There's another school that I've just went brain dead on. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I'm trying to look up um, the San Diego. This the University of San Diego's college head coach, and it keeps giving me Chargers mess. Because I, <laughs> I want to say it was... It's not the Toros, is it? It is the Toros. Dale Lindsay. <laughs> oh, my God. Never mind. Don't get Dale Lindsay. Don't, uh... <laughs> he looks... He looks, uh... He looks rough. Yeah, don't Google Dale Lindsay. That's a bummer, man. <laughs> that is a bummer. I can't remember what team it was, but I thought it was maybe, a. It was an. It was a former FBS coach that's out there doing big things, and I can't remember if it was Francione, maybe? Yeah, that's a throwback. Definitely not him. Yeah, I don't <laughs> know. I, I hope Fresno State can find somebody, because eventually Rocky Long's going to be gone from San Diego State, too. And San Jose State seems to have found their guy, so... It'd be just better for the Mountain West in general. But as we get closer and closer, because we're just a few years removed from another big shakeup, whether it be conference realignment or TV deal money. Yeah. I saw boy, I saw the Mountain West made a deal with Fox Sports today, moving from ESPN. So they're looking for more money too. Yeah, I'm just... I hope Fresno State finds somebody. It's fun when they're good too. What, uh, any other thoughts on the other coaches that have moved? I... I saw Colorado State has their dude, which was laughable. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> I got into I got stuck in the middle of what was a Twitter argument about the Colorado State job, and it was between the Walk On Red Shirts podcast, the guys that that we mentioned last episode, and Airwolf, who is a University of Washington blogger and. Twitter user who's a pretty great follow. He does a lot of analytics stuff too. So the hire that Colorado State made was Steve Adazio. And Urban Meyer was on that panel for interviews. So there's a little bit of a inside job kind of nepotism, cronyism bit, which was a good point by Airwolf that he was making. But then Steve Adazio made the hires for not only his son, or it was his son-in-law and then Urban Meyer's son? Or yeah. vice, it was something like that. Yeah. They might be good hires. In fact, I think the argument from the the antagonist in this argument was saying, no, these are good hires. This this isn't this isn't nepotism. This isn't, you know, whatever else it might be. And Airwolf made a really great point about the fact that it is nepotism, right? And it's something that literally in any other field of work, aside maybe politics that it's extremely frowned upon 
in the workplace, but it seems to be accepted at the coaching level. Yeah, and encouraged. Yeah, and encouraged. I mean, Colorado State brought Urban Meyer in, hoping to get an Urban Meyer guy. So I get that. But to do that, and also the other point he made, the fact that a lot of these coaches end up being the highest paid the highest paid worker in their states paid by their state universities kind of screams and it, it screams an ugly an ugly scream. I don't know how I, I worded that incorrectly. It just screams nepotism, cronyism, and it just feels weird. It feels icky. Agreed hundred percent. And I, I don't I don't usually like to endorse Dan I think uh not Wetzel, who's the other one we always clown on um Thamel, Pete Thamel, but he made a really great point that if you're a young up-and-coming coach, it has to be kind of, you know, you have to be dismayed when you watch a guy like Adazio get fired, and I think he made a point about uh, Boston College players literally cheering that he got fired, and then you're a young coach wanting to go, you know, get the Colorado State job, and you see him just get plucked in over a lot of other good candidates. I think that's that's one, one frustrating side of the coaching fraternity doesn't get talked about enough is the you know, the cronyism that you talked about, like, give someone else a shot. We know what Adazio is about. They're going to try to bleed teams out 17 to 14, and it's not going to be good. And and the fact that he's never coached west of the, west of the Mississippi, no. like, ever. And why not take, like, you're in Colorado. You already know that it's going to be where you're in the Mountain West. You're going to probably struggle going east, so you've got to have a West Coast guy. All that aside... Your point about a young coach, like, and even if it's not young, it's the reason why we cheer for the Lance Leopolds and the Will Healy's of the world, right? And and the the um, Willie Taggart's of the world, and the uh, God, just name them. Now, the uh, what's this? The Kleiman at Kansas State, because yeah. they came up, and it appears when they come up that way that the funnel is is going appropriately, right? Like it's filtering out the bad, yep. and if it wants, if that bad wants to get back in, it has to earn its right. It has to push back up. It just doesn't land back on top. Like it's an infinity symbol just coming back around. <laughs> so it, it does suck because Colorado State could have made a really cool hire, and who knows where that take them? That takes them. That's the they're they're one of like the two big schools in that state have a chance to be really, really great as a program. And I don't think Adazio is the guy to get you there. All respect no. to Air Force, by the way. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's a bummer. It's an ugly side of sports. Uh, there was a day where I wanted to be a college football, uh, college football. I wanted to be a football coach, period. Uh, and I was planning on starting at the high school level. And I had a, a good friend at the time who happened to also be a bar regular. And I'll, I don't think I've told this story on the podcast, but he used to work as a an assistant coach with John Calipari. I can't remember which gig it was. It might have been Houston. It might have been back in Tennessee. I can't remember where he was at. But he worked as an assistant coach with him. And he talked about how just gross that guy was and how <laughs> underhanded it was. And, I, and he mentioned it to me when I brought up that I wanted to be a coach. And he said, listen, Marty, you're uh, – and this is going to be a surprise to some of you guys. You're a really nice dude. And you <laughs> get eaten alive there. And you deserve better than that. So please don't become a coach because it's just most of the time you're dealing with gross humans who have not a care in the world for anything but themselves. And it lets down 
their athletes. It lets down their assistant and fellow assistant coaches to stay away from it. And I, I believed him. Like, I'm taking his word for it. But when you just see it happen, especially at a job like Colorado State that I think is a cool job that I wanted to get a cool hire in, it is a kick in the nuts when Adazio gets hired. Like, truly. From a, just from a college football fan perspective. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, we'll kind of see how he does. The Just the other hire I wanted to touch on and really get your thoughts on, again, coming from the Urban Meyer, Ryan Daytree was uh, Jeff Halfley at, at Boston College. What were your thoughts there? Hopefully it goes better than Rutgers did when they went to Ohio State <laughs> and got a defensive coach. Yeah. I think it probably will. He's had so much success with those defensive backs that he was responsible for. I think that's going to reflect well. But I think Boston College might just turn into – I hope they don't turn into the Michigan States of the world. I hope that he brings an offensive coach that does something mildly innovative. And there's a whole Ivy League full of them that he can pluck them out to. So – so I'd like to see who he brings point. in offensively. Yeah. So last, pending. I think it's a good hire, but pending. Yeah. The last one on that is uh, I was reading Twitter, I think yesterday or when Ash was announced this weekend as Texas' defensive coordinator. Didn't really get that one. You know, he's very much a 4-3, you know, Iowa-style defense. That's where he came up and under Iowa. Unless he's going to shift his philosophy, I watched – you know, Ash just get carpet bombed by Penn State and Michigan and everyone else in the Big Ten for the last couple of years. So I don't know what what that thought process was by Herman. I understand it because he's an old. They were on the same staff together, right? At yeah, Ohio State. State. Like I get yeah. that part. Speaking of which, <laughs> what we just got off of <laughs> with the the <laughs> with the Jeff Adazio conversation. Running the four three is just not going to work in the Big Twelve. No. It would have this year. Because the, the, the this year big the Big Twelve was actually a really physical conference versus a normally very high flying conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just it feels like another way to buy his time there. And yeah. that's uh I don't know who else I would have picked. He's got experience, but he's got some work to do because Texas has got a lot to do if they plan on being in the Big Twelve title game. Not to mention on the offensive side, but definitely on the defensive side. I mean, both sides of the ball were not great this year. So, yeah, I think it's probably a good hire for Herman, the familiarity. I don't I don't think it's going to work out for Texas the way they hope it will. And, it, and it's probably going to be step one and him being gone in the next two years, if yeah. I had to put a prediction on it. It's a shame. It is, but you know what? I think I'm, I think I'm, I'm going to embrace Texas being above average to good and not great. Banner Society put out talking about the recruits that are coming out of this year or that are signing this year. I'm sorry. And talked about what age they would have been when a certain program last won a national championship. And it would have been three or four years old for when Texas last won it would have been the age of these kids. And for USC, it would have been the year before in 04. So I think I'm okay with Texas being a middle of the road to Somewhere at that 75% mark. If only A&M, Texas A&M, also stays at that same level <laughs> and all they've got is trash talk to one another. And eventually they're just going to they're gonna lean into it and say, listen, maybe eight and nine games a year is a good thing. Let's make sure one of them is the other school and maybe yeah. it can possibly make something happen and getting that rivalry kicked back. Because the people want it. Because by God, 
Connecticut and Central Florida, the civil conflict, it's continuing. <laughs> they scheduled this game for next year, I believe, and the year after. They're keeping that shit rivalry together, but we can't get A&M and Texas to schedule one another. Yeah, I don't know what. God, what, did my Texas come out of my accent when I started talking about it? A little I feel bit. Like it did. Yeah. It slipped in. That happens. Well, I think that's going to do it for us. We should be recording next week on Monday. I believe, Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, will that be early signing day already completed? Yes. By the time uh, we record? Yeah, early, early signing day will be uh, this Wednesday. So. Okay, cool. Then what we might do, depending on, on how many games are left uh, for that next week to cover, we might knock through some of them a little bit quicker and cover a little bit of the, the early signing period, seeing where, where everybody kind of landed, how we feel, if anything that was surprising us. What was surprising, Chase Young staying in school, I guess. I don't know. No, we'll that's see. crap. It's, uh, there's no way. No. There's no way. For, uh, for me... That is going to be a goodbye. Once again, at RunPodOption on Twitter, RunPodOption at gmail.com. Jeffrey, say goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. Have a great week. Great week, and enjoy your bowl games. Yes. Hi, my name is Joshua Tracy. And I am Corwin Heller. And we are the hosts of a statistics and sports podcast called Juicing the Numbers. We cover the NFL, college football, MLB, and the NHL with anything that we like to talk about in between. If you like sports and the numbers behind it, come check out our show, Juicing the Numbers, on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you find podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at JuicingPOD.